Welcome back to Arab American Psycho. My name is Noor, and I'm very excited about this week's guest. She's an Algerian-Canadian lifestyle editor at Arab News based in Dubai. Welcome, Khawla Ghanem. Hi. How are you? Hi. How are you oh, you know, just excited to talk shit. <laughs> My favorite thing to do. <laughs> Um, I was telling Khaula before we started recording that I've wanted to have her on the show for a while because she's very mysterious. Like her online presence is so mysterious, but I just know she's cool. So this was basically, this is an investigation that I'm doing now and conducting live on this podcast. It's actually really funny because my online persona is the exact opposite of what I'm actually like um so yeah I think I kind of do it on purpose as well I mean that's also definitely fun because then you get to just like kind of have this like double life which makes you even more mysterious (laughs) yeah I'm really excited for this I was telling her it's my first podcast I know and it's and it's just you know Taking taking podcast virginities during Ramadan. <laughs> One podcast virginity at a time. Yeah. And um, but I'm interested in knowing how do you feel like your online persona is different than your like actual real life personality? I mean, okay, so I like not all the time, but sometimes I'll like meet people in person that I've never met, but we'd have like kind of a relationship online where we talk. Um, And then usually when they meet me, without fail, they always have to bring up like, you are nothing like I expected you to be like, you are so like different. And I think because I'm more reserved, like in person and in real life. And I don't think that's what I give out on my social media. I don't know. That's just how I see it. I I, I definitely would just based off of like, following you for like a while now like I wouldn't think that you were like more like on the reserved side like I that's not you're right that's not the vibe I got at all (laughs) I'm super reserved like calm very shy actually I'm a really shy person too I love that you're calm I love that for you (laughs) I got it from my mom I'm like I'm like I've never felt calm a day in my life so (laughs) I'm happy for you (laughs) I don't think I'm physically capable of like screaming or raising my voice. Oh my god. It's the worst like at restaurants when I'm trying to get a waiter's attention. (laughs) It's not happening. It's not. But like do you think it's because and I'm just really feeding into like a Canadian stereotype right now. Do you think it's because you're just like incredibly polite because you're Canadian? It definitely could be. I mean that was a point. Oh my god I have to tell you this story. So this is when I was still living in Canada. Um, It was like winter. I think I was walking home from the bus stop or something. I I had my earphones in and I was listening to my iPod because this was during the iPod era. And I ran into a pool, like on the sidewalk. And I said, sorry to the pool. Because (laughs) (laughs) it's just, it's the politeness was just like involuntary at that point. Like I said, thank you to automatic doors. Because you're just so used to saying, like, thank you, please, sorry. Like, it just comes out. 
So yeah, oh maybe. God. You're conditioned. You've been conditioned. I literally, <laughs> if I ever have a child, am fully raising them and I'm, I'm sending them to Canada. Like I, I just feel like American children are not that polite. You know, I've never been to America. I mean, if I had to guess, it's probably the same thing as Canada. Like I can't imagine there being like that, except for like, we have like really large portions of every thing. Like all our food is just like double the amount that anyone should be eating. <laughs> Like, this is very well Canada's kind of the same because I remember the first time I traveled outside of Canada and I think I went to McDonald's and I was shocked at how much smaller the proportions are in the rest of the world no it's it's actually like alarming how big our portions are like when whenever I'm any like in Europe like the food is like the correct portion like do you know what I mean like this is a good amount where like you're not going to be like overstuffed you don't really have leftovers. Like I feel like I constantly have leftovers everywhere I go. And I'm just like, am I just, do I have like a really small appetite? And I'm like, no, I just feel like this is just way too much food for any one person to consume. Yeah, it's totally unnecessary. But then again, it's a very um, consumerist society. Oh, and I mean like, I'll, I think so. But I mean, I'm definitely like, I'll say it like I'm a fucking consumer. Like I am literally, you know, every marketing person's dream, like you don't really need to do much, like I'll buy it. Like, like even right now, like I just like, as I was saying that I was like, I gotta buy something like I just will buy into the last thing you bought. Oh my god. What was I mean, the last thing I bought, I went to the grocery store. So technically, that's not as exciting. But I went there to buy cat food and I ended up leaving with like a bunch of other random shit that like no one needs. Like I got these like fake healthy chips that are like supposed to be like really good for you, but like they're, they're chips. And I got like ice cream made out of pea protein. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Like I, I definitely like, it just put me in a place where I could buy things and I'll buy things. What was the last thing you bought? Literally like an hour ago, um, I was on Instagram and I was following one of these influencers and she was advertising stick on freckles on her story. Okay. Put a code for 20% off. Obviously, I went and bought myself some stick on freckles and I used her code. Amazing. Love that for her also. Hopefully she's getting that that commission. Listen, I wonder if honestly, they do, though. I'm sure they do. So it depends. So it really depends. Like some brands will give you commission. Like if they're not pieces of shit, they'll give you commission. But sometimes they just take advantage of the fact that the influencer marketing space is still relatively new. And like there are no like like hard and like hard rules. Like everything is just kind of. So, I mean, it, everything is on a case by case basis, like from everything from how much you're getting paid to like the, the deliverables to, you know, even getting commission, like it's just all kind of depending on the brand. And I've definitely been contacted by brands before that are like, here's a promo code, which I prefer using a code where I don't make commission, to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. I just feel like it, the commission is so insignificant in the long run and also I just feel like 
I don't want to always make people feel like I'm taking something from them. Right. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Because I always wondered, like, when they have those promo codes, are they making, like, the money that's being taken off? Like, I never actually knew how it works. Yeah, so typically, but typically when you're using, like, an affiliate code, you're getting commission anywhere from 10% to 20% of that sale. Pretty good. Yeah, it's it's pretty good, but it's it's like also I don't know, like sometimes like especially like when it's like a smaller brand, I'm just like whatever, like you get that coin and like I can save my followers some money and like, you know, it just, I don't know. I think it just really depends on like the brand and the relationship. And like I said, everything in in that space is so much depending on like all these factors. And it just depends on like what your relationship is with the, it's just, it's very weird. It's a weird thing. Like, like my friend and I were talking about, like we both got contacted by the same brand, similar brand deal. And like, we were talking about how much they offered to pay us. And it was just like, hilarious like it, it it just none of it makes any sense <laughs> I feel like they're all just swinging it at this point yeah it's just I don't know it's 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 a weird thing and like honestly like I really commend like anyone who's an influencer who's super transparent about like all of these things because For I think sure. that I don't I just think in general like we should be talking more about like how much money we make especially as women because I think that that's one of the things that like stands in the way of us like moving forward and getting paid more money because we are getting paid less than men are. So absolutely. And that's why I'm like, so not against men paying for women. Because at the end of the day, you're making more money than me. The least you can do is pay for my dinner. Absolutely. I've never reparations. (laughs) I support it. You know, I'm, I'm all for it. I agree. I mean, I'll always offer to pay like, no, I'll Definitely. pay, but Definitely. like, but like, but if I, I have no have problem. Pay, best believe I'm blocking you the next day. <laughs> but <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. I'm just like, honestly, it's the least you could do. Like, it's truly the least you could do. Yeah. I mean, you're out here making twice what I make. You can afford to pay for my meal. Yeah. Right. Also, like, you're welcome. I'm here. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like, like, you know, my it's, time it's, is money. Exactly. Uh, but I wanted so so you were born in Canada, right? No, I was actually born in Algeria. In a oh really very. Yeah, in a super, super small village. Um, it's gotten a lot more modern now, but back then, so I was born in 92, like during the height of the Algerian Civil War. Um, and yeah, back then, you know, we didn't have paved roads, like we didn't have running water. We had to like boil water in a pot and mix it with like cold water which we would get from a well when it was running which was like maybe once a month um so it was really like in the middle of nowhere like no technology no televisions no phones and then my family immigrated to Canada when I was four years old so so you're still like a baby 
Yeah. Um, I was four turning five, I believe. Um, so I never went to school in Algeria or anything. Um, I started kindergarten in Canada. And then when I was nine, my family moved to Libya. Um, cause my dad's in oil and gas, so he was constantly moving around. So I was in Libya for about three years, which like best years of my life. Like literally Libya was amazing. Um, That's so, I don't know anyone who's like, I've never spoken to anyone who's, who's lived in Libya. What's that like, like compared to like, you know, I don't know, I guess like the United Arab Emirates. Cause I, you know, I've lived there. So I kind of like, what's it like compared to that? Honestly, I have nothing bad to say about Libya. I don't know if maybe it was because, you know, I was a kid or, but it's, it was just, the weather was nice. We lived right by the beach. I went to an international school. So I went to school with people from all around the world. Like everyone was so cultured. Um, and it was just such an easy, stress-free life. Everyone was so nice. Uh, it was, yeah, it was really, really the best three years of my life. And I honestly, I really wanted to go back. Like after I graduated, like my plan was to go find work in Libya. But unfortunately, that's not possible anymore. But yeah, yeah. it was amazing. So you're a, and then, you're a Libya stan. <laughs> and yeah, I'm a Libya stan account. <laughs> I'm proud of it. In the, yeah, so then my family moved back to Canada. I want to say, I don't remember the year, but I was 12 when we moved back. Yeah. So I was there until I graduated university. And my idea was to stay in Calgary, find a job. I graduated in communications, but there was just nothing for me there. Um, like, if you're not familiar with Calgary, it's basically just like an oil and gas city. So if you're not an engineer or like if you don't have your own business, there's really nothing for you there. Like if I had stayed there, I would have probably been working at a mall, which is yeah. what I was doing when I was living there. I worked at a hair salon in the mall. Um, so I moved to Dubai. But I moved to Dubai because my parents had moved to Oman like a year earlier. Mm -hmm. Um. I didn't go with them because I was in my last year of university, so it wouldn't have made sense for me to move. So after I graduated, couldn't find a job for like six months in Calgary. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to the UAE because it was close to Oman, close to my Yeah, parents. it's really close. It was like, yeah, it's like an hour, 45 minute flight, an hour flight, yeah. so I could go back and forth. Um, just because... I didn't go to Oman because there wasn't really as much work opportunities compared to the UAE. So yeah, that's how I ended up here. And it's been a good almost seven years now. That's wild. And I mean, so when you moved to Dubai, did you like have a job like locked down or were you just kind of like, let me move there and like figure it out? No, it was very much let me move there and figure it out. Um, but it was really, it was a lot of it was like 50% chance and 50% hard work, I would say. Because when I first moved there, I was, I started off interning at some random magazine. I was getting paid like 1,000 dirhams a month, which oh wow, I'm not sure how much that is in dollars, but I want to say. I had, 
like $300 maybe? About $300, yeah. Because I think a thousand, no. Anyway, it was like, a very, very yeah. low amount. <laughs> so I did that for like two months. Um, and my sister was in Dubai as well at the time. She was studying at the American University. And she had met a girl who's also one of my very, very good friends. Shout out to Amina. She was doing, she's, she's American, but she was doing a foreign exchange student program at the American University of Dubai. And she was interning at the time at Style.com Arabia. So she became friends with my sister and then I became friends with her through that. And she mentioned to me that there was an opening at Style.com for an editorial assistant position and that I should apply. So I did and I ended up getting the job and that's how I got my first real job ever, actually. <laughs> I was gonna say in Dubai, but I guess it was my first real job. <laughs> Like, that's really, really cool because, well, first of all, it's really nice that you, you had your sister there, I'm sure, to, like, you know, like, not – because, like, I just feel like moving across the world to Dubai, like, is terrifying to do alone. So it's nice that you had your sister and also, like, yeah, like, definitely – uh, I think every opportunity that I've ever had, I like put towards like hard work and luck. Like it's always just kind of like, a, I think yes. it's always a combination of those two things. Um, and For sure. I mean, so that was basically, so before that, were you interested in fashion? Like, was that something that you knew you wanted to do, but you just needed to figure out like how to do it? Well, I was always interested in fashion, but I didn't ever see it as a career for me. Um, just because I wasn't really surrounded by it growing up in Canada, especially Calgary. I mean, I'm sure in like big cities like Toronto and Montreal, it's probably a lot different, but I've always been into, you know, clothes and trends and shop. Like I was very much into the fashion industry, but I never considered it as a career, but, um, I've always wanted to go into journalism. I've had my mind set on it since I was in the fourth grade. And it was the fourth grade because it was actually after 9-11 happened. Um, we had to, one of our assignments after 9-11 was to write like a kind of journal entry about what happened. And I just remember getting my back from the teacher and she's like, you should really be a journalist and <laughs> just stuck with me. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a journalist. That's so, amazing. I love that teacher. <laughs> you know, we actually don't talk enough about how influential teachers can be. I mean, absolutely. Like, and, and that's like, I feel like teachers don't sometimes might not understand how, much their positive reinforcement can mean to like young yeah. students who are just trying to figure out what they're good at. Because when you're young, you just don't, you don't know what you're, I just feel like it's hard to know what skills you're strong at. And then like to put energy into those skills that you're like innately good at. And if someone were to just tell you, yeah. it could really and help give you some guidance. Definitely. And I'm sure for her, it was just like something she said, just like in passing and never thought about it again but for me it was like such a shift in my nine-year-old life it's like because 
I I was never one of those kids that was like, yeah, when I grow up, I'm going to be an astronaut or I'm going to do this. So it really, I would say, shaped the trajectory of my career. So it just worked out that I got to combine two things that I really loved, which was writing and fashion and make a career out of it. I mean, yeah, that's, that's kind of the dream, honestly. And like, and I definitely can relate to, you know, being interested in fashion, but never really feeling like it could be a career for you. Because I mean, I'm older than you, but like, I, you know, there just hasn't been that much representation in the fashion world for basically anyone who's not white for, for, for a very long time. And, and there's definitely, it's, it's getting much more diverse and, and there's a lot more inclusivity and, you know, uh, you see different faces and, and it's, it's very nice. And I think that, you know, for the younger generation now, like, I do think that it seems like a career choice for them that is totally like possible and, and there's nothing wild about it. But I know for me growing up, I was just like, Oh, like, like I could never like, that would never happen. It was just such a like outlandish idea that it was like the, the chances of it are just so low. Like I just shouldn't even bother like trying. I mean, if you weren't like a six foot blonde, blue eyed size double zero, like forget about it. You know, that that was what I thought fashion was at the time. Cause that was all that I was seeing everywhere. Like, I mean, and that's the thing, like, that's why it's, I feel like a lot of times people don't really understand the importance of that representation, especially in the fashion space, because, you know, that's, that was the world that I like dreamed about. That was the world that like, I wanted to so badly be a part of. And you don't even, I didn't realize at the time what a toll it was taking on me to, to look at this, this world that I wanted to be a part of so badly that where I just never saw even a glimpse of myself in that space. Yeah. We had it really bad. I mean, yeah. Low jeans, the low rise jeans trend. That did a number just- on my confidence. I mean, cause I wouldn't say I was over ever overweight um, growing up. But I wasn't happy with my body because at the time, the standards were just so unrealistic. And I've always mm-hmm. had hips and mm-hmm. love handles, the bane of my existence. And you just, with low-rise jeans, forget about it. So it's, it's so it's just so it, damaging for women and girls. I don't think era people understand what the nineties in fashion was like, I feel like people, if, if, unless you were like alive and like aware, like it was straight up glamorizing disordered eating. And and I'm not saying that every thin model has an eating disorder at all, but like that was essentially what was being told to us, which is you should look like this, even if that means having an eating disorder, even though they never said the words eating disorder, but it was like, low fat, this go on this cleanse, uh, you know, smoke lots of cigarettes. Like that was, that was what we were told to do. 
Yeah, and it low-key really annoys me how people are trying to glamorize that era, like the late 90s, early 2000s era in fashion. And it's mostly like teen girls or younger girls who I guess like they don't they don't they weren't there um or they were really young while it was happening so they're not really that aware but I'm just like can we actually not bring back this era like it was the worst era of fashion let's keep it in the 90s and early 2000s please it's just like I mean it took me a long time to kind of unlearn all of those things that I glamorize that I romanticized and thought were so glamorous like the heroin chic look for me was like that was my ideal look like if I could wake up one day and look like Kate Moss that would have been like ideal for me mind you I'm like uh you know a little hijabi girl who's like not six feet tall doesn't have blonde hair wears a hijab doesn't have blue eyes I like had like double D boobs like when I was like 15 years old and I had hips and like, like I just, it it couldn't be further from looking like me, but like in my mind, I was like, maybe if I just try hard enough, like that could be me too. You know what I mean? It was just setting yourself up for failure and disappointment, not even failure, disappointment. But you know, I feel like the current era that we're living in right now is just as damaging even though it's absolutely now we're encouraging you know more curvier bodies and big boobs big ass but that is very unattainable for a lot of women as well who are going to go you know out of their way to do some really harmful things to their bodies to achieve these unrealistic beauty standards so it's just a never-ending cycle I really look forward to a time where there's no like, quote unquote, beauty standard or like ideal body type or like, I just, I feel like capitalism exists, beauty standards are going to exist. Because it's just at the end of the day for the beauty industry to make money. So we're just all slaves to capitalism. I mean, I'm a slave to capitalism. I'll say it. Like, <laughs> like I'm like, I can't even like, I can't even, I can't even say like, you know what? Yeah, let's fight capitalism. I'm like, I can't. I physically cannot. I love it. I love buying things. It's an abusive relationship. We're in a toxic relationship with capitalism. One thousand percent. Um, but I, I, I do want to talk here. to you. You're what? I said I hate it here. Listen, I I wake up every morning and I think to myself, I hate it here. <laughs> just I don't know where I want to go, but I'm just like it's just this is not this is not it. Um, I it's it's just like this nonstop. I mean, I could complain about this all day for the rest of my life, but just like existing in the world as a woman in general is just like truly the one of the most exhausting things. I I, I, like, I implore someone to fight me on that. There's nothing more exhausting. No, absolutely not. Literally just existing. You, it's, you know, society really just does not like women, I'm convinced. I 100% agree with that. Like, society doesn't like women. Society, in fact, I think, does everything in their power to make women's lives miserable 
and I just it's like a constant like you wake up every day and you just have to you have to be ready you just have to be ready for like whatever whatever is being thrown at you you have to literally be ready and like if you don't advocate for yourself as a woman no one else will absolutely and I I had a thought but I lost my train of thought so bear with me I'm bearing (laughs) yeah just you know I feel like if men had half the problems that women had like if men got their periods they would have like a uh, menstrual leave every month paid 1000%. You know, I actually went to, um, there's this cultural music festival in Dubai. They have it like annually. Um, they don't have it last year because of COVID, but it's really cool. Like a lot of people fly in, they fly in a bunch of artists, a bunch of designers. Um, so they're selling like streetwear and then they also have performances. And I remember I got my period during the festival. There was not like a pad or tampon in sight. And mind you, this festival, it's not just for men. It's like 50% women, 50% men. So the fact that not one single person like that organized this event or had a decision-making position even thought about that is shocking to me. I mean, listen, I wish I could say that I was shocked by it, but I'm not because people don't care about women. Like they just like they like when I go to bathrooms in America where like, you know, I don't know what America's thing is like land of the free or whatever the fuck. It's just like lots of like fake things. Um, But you go into the bathroom and yeah, they have pads and tampons, but like you have to you have to buy them with coins. Who? Who the fuck? Who the fuck walks around with coins? I just want to know because I I don't, I don't have coins. Like in the middle of a pandemic. Like at least, at least make it like you could use a card. You know what I mean? Like at least make it usable. Like it's like, Hey, like we'll give you pads and tampons, but like you won't be able to to buy it. Like, I've ne- I've never carried coins on my person since I was like a child. Like I don't know, I just I, I barely keep cash on me. You know what I mean? I'm just like yeah. this is so dumb. Like I literally I none of my friends, no one I know is walking around with like coins in their bag. What is this? The 50s? Like coin That's purses? What I'm, is that it's what just carrying It's it's so it's so wild and it's so blatant and it's so obvious and like I mean, even the most quote unquote woke guys that I've talked to about this, you, I just can tell by looking at their face or like, really, it's not that bad. Like you're being dramatic. And I'm just like, no, I'm not like, no, it's, it is definitely like we live in a man's world and like women are just here to like, you know, procreate basically. Yeah. Um, Men are... I'll let you fill in the blanks. <laughs> Listen, I, I could think of 17 different things that I'd like to say that men are. Um, but like, <laughs> I'll, I'll refrain because, you know, I do I do have a tendency to bash bash men quite often. I have been known to say that men deserve no rights. So maybe I'm a little bit of an extremist. But, you know, I'm just joking, guys. I'm not joking. I'm not joking at all. Um, but I, I did want to talk to you about 
you know, so you work in the in the fashion world in the in the Middle East um, or in the Gulf area, um, and you used to write for Vogue Arabia. How long were you writing for Vogue? So I was actually part of the launch team. Um, so what happened was before there was a Vogue Arabia in the region, um, it was Style.com. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember Style.com. They had I do. Like, yeah, the U.S. edition, France, British. Um, but then Style.com was transformed into like this e-commerce platform, which failed miserably, by the way. Um, and then editorial aspect of style.com was merged with um, Vogue. But at the time, there was no Vogue in the region. So while all the other editions of style.com like transitioned, we kind of didn't. So we were still like the only style.com left in the world. Um, And then I remember like a year later, I think it was in July, I get a call from, so it was the managing director at the time. And she's just telling us that, you know, Vogue is launching in the region. And basically, we have three months to launch this magazine. And at the time, we were a very, very small team. It was, in terms of writers, there was just two of us. It was me and wow. another one of my colleagues, literally just us two. And we had to produce all the content for oh Vogue. But there's an even worse twist um so a reasonable person would you know shut down style.com and give you that three-month period to um work on content to launch vogue but you know there are very few reasonable people in this world and style.com was still up and running until the day before vogue was launched um just because you know, they don't want to lose out on advertisement. Wow. Um, so yeah, we were producing content for style.com and for Vogue simultaneously. And it was really, really difficult. I remember I wasn't sleeping for weeks. Like I would leave the office at like 7 a.m. And I'd have to be back in the office at like 10 a.m. and just do it all over again. So yeah, so I was there since the launch um and i was working there so the launch was 2016 maybe i I was there for a good like three or four years and when did you decide to 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 leave i left in 2019 was it, yeah, okay. early 2019. And if you don't mind me asking, what was what was the reason you decided to leave that that job at Vogue Arabia? Um, it was a multitude of reasons. Um, like I was thinking about it for a while actually, and it just got to a point where I was very unhappy. And just, I did not enjoy my job anymore. And because before it was, you know, it was always like quite fast paced, very, like it wasn't an easy job, but I still enjoyed doing it. It was worth it. But then it just got to a point where the environment was kind of toxic. 
um, I was being overworked, underpaid, and some of the people that I was working with, I was just like, oh, I can't deal with you anymore. And I just handed in my resignation right there and then. I mean, yeah, like if you're going to, the thing about working, I think a lot of people who might not be like familiar with like the fashion space, they probably think it's like super glamorous. Like we're just like hanging out, like looking at like shirts or something, but like it is a very time consuming, demanding, fast paced world because there's always new collections. There's always new designers. There's always, there's always things that are happening. And I would imagine working in the editorial space of fashion, like you, you need to be the first to, to, to talk about specific things, especially when you work for a publication like Vogue. And so to, to do all of those things, like you have to love it. It has to be your passion, which I'm, I believe that it is your passion, but like, if your work environment is not, is not really aiding in that. And it's in fact, probably making it more difficult. Like, yeah, like why, why would you want to stay there? Like, you know what I mean? At that point, it's like, you're just kind of working and torturing yourself for a place where you don't really want to be at. Absolutely. And I just, I did not want to reach that point where I hated writing or I hated fashion. Like, I'm not going to lie. I don't really have other talents. Like writing is literally all I know. So I was like, damn, like, I don't want to start hating this because like, what am I going to do? Um, so yeah, I didn't even think about it. And I think there was actually, because I had drafted my resignation, but I never found the opportunity. I was always kind of waiting for a sign maybe. And there was an incident that happened that just, I was like, no, I'm, I sent my resignation email right there and then, but I, I don't remember anymore. It's, it, I think that's what I like to call my brain protecting me because sometimes yeah, things enrage me too much. A repressed memory. Yeah. Like my brain is just like, we're just gonna tuck this one away. We're just gonna, we're just gonna put this over here. You don't really need it. Let's not revisit it because it will fill you with deep rage. Um, at least yeah, for me. I think this is what's happening. This is a lot. Yeah, and I think that. I mean, and I know just from you know an outsider perspective, when Vogue Arabia launched, I feel like it was really under kind of like a microscope for a lot of people, just kind of like waiting and watching and seeing what what are they going to do, and you know, I remember. one of the covers being, um, I believe it was like, yeah, it was Bella Hadid. I know Gigi Hadid was on the cover, but I remember when Bella Hadid was on the cover seeing a lot of kind of, I want to say like almost like backlash from people. Like people were pissed about it. They were like, why, why is she on the cover? And I think it was like shot by Carl Lagerfeld, which yeah, that I don't even know why. September issue, the first September issue. Yeah. And I mean, listen, I'll say it. I like Bella Hadid. I think she's, she talks about Palestine a lot. And as a Palestinian, like I appreciate anyone who's willing to talk about Palestine just like in general. Um, But, you know, there were people who were like, kind of like, where is the, we want like Arab representation. We want more Arab representation. This is supposed to be Vogue Arabia. Like what about like, you know, all of these other amazing, amazing, you know, 
um, Arab models and and creators and all these people in the space. And I feel like people definitely really wanted to see more and still want to see more. But like from your perspective, did how did you feel about kind of the way everything was coming together? Well, personally, I love Bella Hadid. I love both the sisters. Um, <laughs> this is a Bella Hadid fan account. She's amazing. Yeah, um, she's amazing. So I feel like when you're an editor-in-chief of a major publication, sometimes you can't make emotional decisions. So at the time, and still now, Bella is a huge superstar in the industry and you know like when you're a publication of that and that such a high standard I mean it just from an editorial lens you are naturally going to get the biggest models right because it's better for advertisement, for sales. I mean, if you're telling a brand Bella Hadid is going to be on your cover, they'll be much more willing to spend to advertise in the magazine. And it's so a September have, issue, which is and like... And it's a September issue. Yeah. So that's the way I'm looking at it. From Because when they're doing these covers, they're not just thinking of how are we going to make our audience happy? It's also how are we going to bring money in? Because at the end of the day, magazines make most of their money via advertisers. Right. Um, so I do think the backlash was kind of unwarranted because although she is, you know, half Palestinian and she still, I guess, has that Arab identity, we can never take yeah. that away from her although right. she's not you know the most amazing representation of an arab woman um so but i do i also see the other side of it why people are upset and why they wanted to see you know their arab idols that they grew up watching on tv or listening to their music so it's a tough one i just feel like you can't please everyone at the end of the day and for the editors, yeah, it's you're either gonna you're gonna piss someone off regardless. <laughs> no, 100%. A lot of the, the thing is, yeah, I I definitely agree that it was a little bit it was unwarranted because ultimately she's she's half Arab and like you can't take that away from her. And when I see my nieces, all of my nieces and nephews are half Arab. None of them are like fully Arab, and like I don't think that that makes them like less of one thing. Like, I think, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's such a kind of weird backwards way of looking at things. But what I thought was like, yeah, like I just, what I feel like people weren't as upset about that. I feel like if you're so upset about representation and maybe I just didn't see a lot of it, but um, you know, I believe it was in 2017 that they're, um, they they decided to get a new editor in chief for Vogue Arabia, who yeah. is not Arab. <laughs> yeah. And I I thought that that was a weird choice to make. Yeah, um, 
he's very good at what he does. Um, I think yeah. before that he was at Vogue Portugal, um, and then he was editor in chief of Ar- Architectural Digest Middle East. So he knows the ins and outs of the industry. Because the issue with the first editor in chief was she was she just didn't have that experience. I mean, she's never worked in publishing before, which obviously it's not her fault. Um, so he kind of had that what she lacked is what he had. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I understand why people are like, okay, this is a magazine for Arab women. Why is it being run by a white man? It doesn't really make sense. Because I think all the other international editions of Vogue are led by people from that actual country, if I'm not mistaken. I think Vogue Arabia is actually the only one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, it seems to be that most of the international Vogue's are run by, you know, people of that, you know, ethnicity or nationality. So it was kind of a... I mean, not that he's not qualified and he has definitely has experience. I believe he also was like worked for GQ. Like he's definitely been, you know, in this space long enough where like he's, it's not a matter of qualification as much as it's a matter of like, that's what I feel like when people get like mad about like representation, I feel like it's a lot of times like they're mad about the representation that they can visibly see rather than what's happening behind the scenes, which I think is equally, if not more important, because those are the people who are making these decisions. Yeah. And also, um, when it comes to the fashion industry in the Middle East, because it is such a new industry, I mean, I mean, if you compare it to Paris, Milan, New York, anywhere else, they have a fully thriving, established industry. Um, whereas in the Middle East, it's really mostly Dubai that kind of has this scene, like this tiny city in the Gulf. And as a career, it's not an Arab person's first choice. I mean, we all of our parents that growing up like, you know, you can be whatever you want as long as you're an engineer or a doctor. Like, you, you just, it wasn't a thing to like work in fashion, but because we never had that ecosystem. So I do think it, it is very difficult maybe to find, I mean, I don't know about now, but like a few years ago, I would assume that it's very difficult to find someone, you know, who would, I guess someone who has that knowledge and expertise and talent and know-how to do this job, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. And like, also like, you I mean, I'm sure they like, exist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure they exist obviously, but I don't know. I feel like maybe they didn't look hard enough. Perhaps. Yeah. I just, I, I think that, Again, like, I think because there are all of these, you know, Arab editions of different publications that are, you know, popping up. And I just think that there's a lot of opinions kind of, I I also remember, I think Kim Kardashian, when she was on the cover of uh, Harper's Bazaar Arabia, people were really fucking mad. 
people were really, really angry. I believe it, that was also the September issue. And I just remember people being like pissed about that. And like you were saying earlier, it's like, I get it. But at the same time, like, I mean, she's, she's not a white woman. You know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. and maybe that's my brain being conditioned. I don't know. But like, I, I was just like, what, why are we so mad about this? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, because, you know, you can have Kim Kardashian on the cover. But then if you like, purchase the magazine and you flip through the content like mm-hmm. 99% of it is usually very Arab centric whether it's like an interview with an Arab designer or an editorial with Arab models but I think when it comes to the covers because it's a very you know at the end of the day uh, the industry is very money driven so you kind of have to make these decisions where you're thinking about what is as what is going to pay me and my employees yeah what's going to sell yeah yeah and yeah I mean going back to like um you know non-Arabs working at publications in the region it's really not just Vogue Arabia I would say most if yeah most of the publications in the Middle East are very very much white yeah and again that goes back to well we talked about this before you were recording the class classism in Dubai Mm -hmm. and people that live here know about it I'm sure you know about it because you've lived here but I don't know if like the rest of the world is aware that in Dubai your value as an employee is literally based on your passport like Mm -hmm. If you are American or British, you will have a much, much, much easier time getting employed and getting a better salary and better benefits than if you had, I don't know, a Mexican passport. It's, yeah. So that's why a lot of times when you walk into an office, you will see that it's mostly dominated by non-Arab people, unfortunately. So there's just a lot of factors. I mean, I could go on about this all day. (laughs) Listen, Khawla, anyone who's ever listened to my podcast has heard me talk shit about Dubai to the point where, like, I've had people tell me, like, you know, you're probably, like, if there's anything happening based in Dubai, like, they they would never consider you. And I'm like, that's fine. I will continue (laughs) screaming about the classism that still exists. And I know that... And this is what we were talking about. Like, I've been told repeatedly that it's it's not as bad anymore, but it's like, but it still is happening. And the way you are treated as an American or someone who's Canadian, like if you were from Algeria and you never lived in Canada, you would be treated differently. Like there's, there's no, like there's no doubt about that in my mind at all. And like, just like I know that when I lived there, when I would walk into a store, they would see me and I looked like, you know, just like a, an Arab girl, like I could be Palestinian, I could be Syrian. But as soon as I started speaking and they heard that I had an American accent, then, then they decided, oh, she deserves Mm. to be treated like a customer and not just forward. Because they heard that American accent. And so they were like, oh, like, can I help you with anything? Do you need anything? 
And, you know, it took everything in me not to tell him to fuck off. But, you know, like it's, I don't think that that's like, it sounds to me based on everything that I've seen that that's still very prevalent. It's just so wild to me that like something so small, like what passport you carry can mean so much. And like, like, can literally change your life. You know, before moving to the UAE, I never actually understood the value of a passport. I literally never thought about it. It was just a document I carried to travel. That's all it was to me. Um, Until I moved here and I met like different people and different nationalities. And I was like, wow, like this thing is really important, I guess. Um, I uh, completely agree with you. And I think that, and this is another thing that we were talking about before we started recording, which is, you know, the way the Emirates glamorizes the West is it's just like you were telling me that they're considering changing their weekends because in the Middle East, the weekends are on, I believe it's, it's it Thursday and Fridays and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? Like Thursdays technically um, are Friday in the West. Yeah. Wait, no, Thursday's a working day. Oh, sorry. So the weekends are Friday, Saturday. Right. So, so, so Thursday so, would so be the a Friday, Thursday, yeah. Yeah, so Thursday is a Friday, and then Friday would be Saturday, and then Saturday is a Sunday, and then you guys work on Sunday, so your Sunday is a Monday. <laughs> Literally, yeah. if anyone hears it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But um, it's and, – and the reason for that is that Friday – is a day of like worship for Muslims. So they go to the mosque and they go hear a sermon. It's similar to, you know, in the West Sundays, you go to church or if you, if you're a Christian, you go to church and yeah. And it's, it's like, we know why weekends exist in this way. And it all comes down to, you know, religion, but now Dubai is considering changing their weekend to align with the weekends in the West. And I'm just like, nothing has ever annoyed me more in my life. I'm it's really because you know growing up in the west I was always used to the weekend Saturday Sunday and then when I moved to the UAE all of a sudden Sunday is a working day and that's something that took me literally years to adjust to and then I feel like I'm gonna have to readjust back if they end up actually changing the weekend um but again, this is all stuff that I've been hearing. It hasn't been confirmed um, right. by like any government entity or anyone. It's just the word around the street. But yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I would be really annoyed if that happened too, because as you were saying, it's a religious thing at the end of the day. Um, our the weekends in the Middle East are based on Friday prayers. So, I mean, I'm hoping it's just rumors. But yeah, we'll see. I hope so too, because also like that would just be so I I I just and like I, I just don't understand this idea of constantly trying to be more westernized, like just in every way humanly possible, and that being like the epitome of, you know, just progress and all these things. It's like if if Arab countries focused more on like 
you know, their own culture and their own traditions and, and, you know, keeping those things alive and prioritizing those things rather than trying to like, I guess, assimilate. I just, I don't know. It's just like, you don't see Western countries. Like we don't even get like a day off for Eid. Like, you know what I mean? Like they don't give a fuck about us. Like, so why, why do you care so much? I don't know. It just, to me, it's, it's, it would be really disappointing if it did happen. Um, because I don't know. I just don't really understand why that's necessary, especially since it's been, that has been what's been going on for as forever. So it's like, why now? Maybe the pandemic. I don't know. I mean, a lot of, you know, most countries in the world have been hit pretty hard. Right. So for me, that's the only logical reason I can think of. But again, as I, we mentioned I earlier, most like, people are not logical. <laughs> exactly. But I do feel like Dubai does do a really good job in kind of balancing the East and West in a sense. Okay. Because, you know, I don't think I could ever live in a totally Western country again. But at the same time, I don't think I can live in a fully Arab country either. So Dubai for me is like a good middle ground. Um, and I hope it stays in this middle ground. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I, yeah. I think that I mean, there is something to be said about the progress that's been made there that's definitely influenced by the West and has positively impacted, I think, a lot of people's lives. But what worries me is like this kind of, you know, I don't know, like obsession with wanting to be like super Westernized. Like that that's what I'm saying. It's just kind of like having like a happy medium and taking small things and still keeping that Arab kind of culture is I think what makes it so special. And I think that if that were to be lost, it would just, what would yeah. what would be the point? Absolutely. Like the fact that I can hear the Evan like five times a day. Right. It makes such a huge difference to my life that like sometimes when I travel and I don't hear it, I just, like, you know, where's Evan? But I completely oh. agree with you. And I think there's a lot of layers. Um, you know, it's colonialism and all these political things we don't got to get into. <laughs> definitely, there's a lot to unpack. Right, right. And it's like we don't I have think the about time. it all the time. Like, you know, when we immigrate to, you know, the West, America, Canada, the UK, whatever. First of all, we're called immigrants, not expats. So I'm just going to put it out there. Um, and then we're expected to start speaking the language, wearing jeans and, you know, dressing like them. And But it's never reciprocated. Right. You know, when Westerners move to the Middle East or Asia or wherever, we kind of have to um, kind of bend over backwards for them. Yep. In the sense that, you know, we have to start speaking English. We have to make their lives easier and more convenient rather than just 
you know, have them learn. Like when I moved to Canada, I I had to learn English. Like there, I couldn't not speak English. I mean, granted, I was like five years old, but like there was no way around it. Even my mom right. didn't speak a word of English when we moved there, and she had to enroll in like English classes because you just you can't do basic everyday things if you don't speak the language. Whereas if you have someone move here, like an American or Canadian or a Westerner, they don't need to learn a word of Arabic. They absolutely don't. And and they and they don't like I and they don't say yeah. I mean, I went to an international school, and um, in fact, one of the schools that I went to, if you were Arab you had to take Arabic classes. But if you were not Arab, you did not have to take Arabic classes. And I was like, the fuck is this? Make it make sense, please. Like, and also like now I'm just Googling what the difference is between an immigrant and an expat, because I actually have never thought about this before, but you're a hundred percent correct. Where like my parents are immigrants. That's not like up for debate. But when I lived in the Emirates, all of our uh, British and, you know, Europeans and Canadians, they were all called expats. So. Yeah. Well, I feel like I, I have Googled it before. And the definition was something like expats are, you know, working people who move to a country like to work, basically. And I'm just like, okay, so are immigrants. <laughs> right. Like when I lived, we're when I lived in the Emirates, the only reason... The only reason I lived there was because my mom got hired to work there and she went there for work. And then when she no longer worked at that job, she was like, okay, bye. Like that, I mean, but no one called her an expat at any point. Really? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, in fact, I think more often than not, people just like probably assume she was just like, an Arab lady who didn't know English and like, you know, th that was like, no one saw her and thought like, Oh, look at that expat woman. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure she's here for work. Like no one thought that. Yeah. I feel like expat is low key just reserved for white people. Absolutely. That's what I like. I like, I can't believe I've never thought about this before because it was just so normal when I lived there that like, there were like the expat kids and then there were like the Arab kids and that's just, how it was and I was even as an American I was not considered an expat I was still considered like one of the Arab kids so interesting isn't it it's I'm telling you like it's so fucked up and like there's all sorts of shit that like I we probably aren't even fully aware of because you know and this is something that I've spoken about before like I mean ultimately at the end of the day I'm still American. I still have lighter skin. Like I still don't fully understand how it, it affects other people, like people who, who move there from India or people. And like, yeah. you know, all of most of the people who work um, in like construction or uh, public transportation, they move there for work. You, no one is calling them expats. <laughs> no one is calling them that. They're not calling them that. They're calling them the, the Patan guy, you know what I mean? The driver, they're not calling them expats. Yeah. So, you know, it absolutely is just another way of saying a white person. Let's be real here. Oh, now I'm just, now I'm filled with rage, but I'm also fasting. So like, I can't fully ex express it because, because of the lack of caffeine. 
So, so maybe it's for the best. Maybe it's for the best that I'm not uh, caffeinated right now because I'm, I'm the, the anger I'm feeling it can't even be fully articulated because of my energy levels, um, which is people probably are like, thank God, stop yelling, you crazy person. Shout um, out to Ramadan. Shout out to Ramadan. Ramadan, I need to stop saying that. I'm so annoying. Ramadan, Ramadan, Ramadan. Oh my God. I hate myself. Ramadan all the time because are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. Okay, well, I don't know if you remember, but somebody tweeted about Ramadan once. And someone goes, isn't that the food they ate in Parasite? And they're like, no, that's Ramadan. So now I just cannot stop calling it Ramadan. (laughs) I mean, that's funny, though. That's hilarious. I am just a dumb bitch who pronounces i've literally only recently started referring to myself as nur as opposed to nor nor like it's 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 just it's truly upsetting and i don't want to be palatable anymore in fact i'm consciously going to try to make an effort like i would like to somehow develop like an arab accent when i speak english or something (laughs) like i don't know like i just want to be as unpalatable as possible um, so that's my goal for 2021. <laughs> you got this. Do you like, speak I just, Arabic? I do. I speak Arabic fluently. Do you speak Arabic? Horribly. Well, I speak Algerian Arabic, so it's, yeah, yeah, we yeah. call it Darja. It's not really Arabic at all, to be honest. It's like a mix yeah, of... It's, yeah, it's like a mix. Everything. French, Arabic, Spanish, so and a little gibberish. Um, so, you know, if I had a conversation with an Arab person in Darja, they probably would not understand the thing I was saying. Yeah, I, I grew up with some friends who were Algerian and when they would speak to their parents, like I could like kind of maybe get like context clues here, here and there, because there would be like certain words that I like kind of felt like, okay, this sounds like it's this word. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I could probably like piece it together, but it's it's a different language. Oh, completely. But um, I can understand um, other dialects of Arabic quite well. Just I mean, that's them is pretty impressive. Harder to speak. For me, the easiest dialect is definitely the Levant, like yeah, um, Lebanon, Syria, mm-hmm. Syria, and Palestine. Um, the most difficult for me. And a lot of people are shocked to learn this because apparently it's the easiest. But Egyptian Arabic is literally nonsense to me. Egyptian Arabic, like, I really, I feel like it is, that's, do people think it's really easy? Because I think it sounds very different. Like, they're, like, the the pronunciation, their vocabulary, like, just everything is so different. Like, even as simple as like the word for milk is not the same. Like just so many things are very different. And the only reason why I think I understand the Egyptian dialect is because both of my parents went to school in Egypt. My dad like went to medical school there. So he was there for a long time, but both of my parents went to school in Egypt for university. And like, they definitely have, 
so they met, it's actually, it's very cute. My dad's roommate in medical school was my mom's brother and they're both from Gaza. And so he, or Gaza, God, I hate myself. They're both from Gaza. And, um, my uncle at the time was like, Oh, I'm going to, to, to Gaza to go visit my sister. Who's back from school at the time she was um, getting a master's in Bahrain. And so my dad was like, you got a sister. And he was like, yeah, I got a sister. And he was like, is she single? And he was like, yeah. And he was like, can I come meet your sister? Is she hot? This is also not exactly how it went down, but this is how I imagine it went down. And so my dad literally met my mom once and was like, she's a baddie. I want to marry her. And then he married her. And my dad's best friend till this day is her brother. And it's very fucking cute. It's literally the cutest thing ever. That's actually cute as hell. It's, it's upsetting how cute it is because I know that that type God, of meat, it's just... It's just, it's not, I'm, I'm constantly just like yell, like not yelling at my dad, but just kind of like, why are you so cute? Why have you created all of these unrealistic oh, expectations out of men for me? It's really upsetting. Please, please stop doing this. When is it my turn? God, when, when is it, when is it our turn to be happy? Honestly, though, it's so much more difficult meeting people organically like that these days. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know how people meet each other other than like through the internet. Like when I really think about it, most of the people in my life, I somehow met through like Twitter or Instagram. This is not a joke. Yeah, same. And it's also ironic because I also feel like the internet is ruining relationships. Maybe not friendships, but definitely romantic relationships I feel like nobody really dates anymore because of social media again I genuinely when I see people meeting people like in the wild it's just shocking to me I'm just like but also like I I know that like I'm also like I'm just not an approachable person for like several reasons (laughs) the main reason that I can think of is that like everything about my energy is screaming. Don't fucking talk to me. So I mean, <laughs> that's on me, but I, I don't know how people meet each other. Like I just, it, none of it makes any sense to me. I'm truly baffled. I literally have come to the conclusion that I am probably going to be alone forever because I hate dating apps and I just don't talk to people. Dating apps are the worst. I can't. I've tried it once in the past and it's like nope not for me delete but I have it's to upsetting. ask you yes what's your star sign um I'm an Aries I knew you were a fire sign okay I don't know shit about horoscopes everyone who listens to my podcast knows this but it's so interesting because I feel like everyone always who's into horoscopes knows that I'm an Aries like how do you know I mean you're definitely not an earth sign. Just based on your, you know, you're very, you love talking. You're very passionate. You're easily angered. This is just what I'm getting from the last, you know, hour. No, these are all facts. Like you've yet to say something that's not an absolute fucking fact. <laughs> so yeah, we stand. I'm a fire sign as well. What? When's your birthday? Um, August 16th, so I'm a Leo. Apparently, Aries oh, yeah. and Leos are, like, the best match. 
I, we're also just the best people. I don't know anything about anything, but I could just say with full confidence that we're just the best. Um, <laughs> but also your birthday is two days after my niece's birthday. So I'll probably remember oh your birthday God, because. So cute. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know. I also think that like, now that I think about it, so all of, most of my close friends are also all Aries, which I think is interesting. I feel like only other Aries can maybe handle an Aries. It's and it's so interesting because like it I think that like people always like like when people find out that I'm an Aries, they're like, that makes perfect sense. Like you fit you fit the mold. But like I do think that like my other friends who are Aries, like it's it's similar they're similar but maybe I feel like I'm the angriest Aries that I know but I'm never actually angry that's the thing like my anger is always just like a joke kind of kind of but like for the most part like when I'm angry it's just to make myself laugh um but like actually being like angry or like holding a grudge or like wanting to like actually get into a fight with someone like that's that's brings me no happiness like that's just fucking annoying like I don't want to do that I only want to be angry if it's, it's if it's like a good time like yeah. I like making anger fun yeah I don't remember the last time I was like you know actually like angry I get irritated and annoyed but I mean it takes a lot for me to get angry because like I, I'm such a calm person yeah, but I have to be like really provoked. But when I get to that level, it's really bad. Like that's what I'm saying, and I really think that's bad. also like a woman thing. Yeah, like we just have a tolerance for bullshit. That's just absolutely. We, we it takes a lot to actually like for me to for real be angry at someone like you have to have done something really disrespectful yeah or and, like like just a build up of things like you're just holding in so much mm-hmm. and then just you just snap one day listen that's why i'm a fan of always telling people how I feel constantly (laughs) because I, I think that just naturally our instinct is to kind of hold things in and like not burden other people and, you know, not make a big deal. Um, But what ends up happening for me is that I just end up like freaking the fuck out um, over like something really dumb. Like, uh, you know, like, boba or some shit like that like you know I go to a boba store they don't have the flavor I like have I start crying this is a real thing that has actually happened in my life a few years ago I did cry in a boba store um but you know that's why I'm like I just if someone does something to upset me I'm just gonna calmly let them know that they've upset me before it turns into me crying in a boba store as you should I feel like we should all be like this I and I feel like once you just let it out, you'll feel so much better. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And also, like, it just—I mean, not to 
sound like a fucking Brene Brown podcast, which there's nothing wrong with that. I love Brene Brown's, but like, you know, communication, try it sometimes. You know what I mean? Like it could be a solution to your anger. Communication is key to everything I've learned. Cause I used to have really And you're a writer. So I would imagine you're probably you really know, good at communicating. I communicate so much better in writing than I do verbally actually um and I think that's probably a number of factors but I do think growing up I always felt like I didn't really have a voice and that's why I kind of turned to writing more yeah um but no I'm trying to be better like I, I just I'm a very passive person so the idea of confrontation literally gives me anxiety. Okay, this is really creepy. And I'm, it's not like I don't believe in horoscopes, but I'm just kind of like, you know, take it with a grain of salt type of person. But my niece, whose birthday is two days before yours, she's 25 years old. Okay, I want to clarify, she is an adult. She also hates confrontation, like so much so that if she thinks I'm because I love confrontation. So if she thinks I'm about to confront someone, she will like leave. She'll walk, like if we're like in public and she thinks that I'm going to like, and when I say con- confrontation, I don't mean I'm going to go yell at someone. I might just like say like, Hey, you made my drink wrong, you know, not in a rude way, but even that upsets her. And she also is much better at expressing herself through writing. And how interesting. And when she gets into like a fight with someone, she writes them letters like about how she feels and like yeah, can't I say it out loud. Paragraph text. Oh my God. <laughs> I wonder if, is that like a, uh, like, uh, like, so, like, does it align with like your star sign, I guess? I mean, I feel like Leos are very misunderstood sign. Um, like they we kind of have this rep of being like super obnoxious and loud and attention seeking drama whores but I've honestly never met a Leo who is like that personally um but then again like when it comes to astrology there's just so many different factors that go beyond your sun sign like Mm -hmm. you have a whole birth chart which is essentially a snapshot of the sky when you were born um, and like where the plant, like which sign each planet was in. So for instance, when I was born, the moon was in Pisces. So I have a Pisces moon. And so it's very intense. I mean, like each of these planets represent different facets of your personality. So the moon is basically how you emote. Um, Mercury is how you communicate. So that's why you can meet like to Aries people and they might be completely different because they could have completely different birth charts. God, so, that's the point of the birth chart, which yeah. I also recently, I had one of my followers sent me my birth chart because I was doing like a Q and a and they were like, what's your, your, I don't know, your rising or this or that. And I was like, I don't fucking know, but this is my birthday and this is what time I was born and this is where I was born. And people sent it to me and they were like, this is your this. And they're like, and it makes so much sense. And like literally one of the things that's like on my birth chart was that I'm like 
naturally influential, which I thought was fucking hilarious because I'm a literal influencer. So I did, I was very tickled by that. That's how I actually got into astrology to begin with. Um, Cause I read my birth chart once and it was so scarily accurate. And I was like, these people know me, like they're watching me. Um, but yeah, I just feel like I, I really don't like people that clown astrology and there's like, oh, girls that believe in astrology are so dumb because it's just, it's so complex. And some people really, really study this for years. It, it's so things like your sun sign, I feel it's like very commercial. Like, you know, this is what you can put on a mug or underwear right. or like in the newspaper, but it's so much deeper than that. Um, there's a lot of math that goes into it, you know, with the degree. And I don't fully comprehend it. I think I would need to study it for years before I even understood half of it. So, yeah, it just really bugs me when people are like, oh, astrology is such bullshit. I can't believe you believe it. But when you think about it, astrology literally predates most religions, if not all. Like before religion, people were worshipping planets and like making major decisions based on where the moon and the sun was so and you know so these some of these civilizations were the most intelligent civilizations that existed like the mayans and the ancient egyptians and yeah so no and, and that's the thing like e- that's the thing like i've always like i'll be the first person to be like i just don't really know a lot about it it's not that i think it's like oh it's like total fucking bullshit and girls who like horoscopes are stupid i think that the whole kind of idea of like bitches who love horoscopes like oh they're so dumb it's like that's just like another excuse for people to like make fun of women and just shit on women in my opinion um because i feel like if men were super into astrology no one would fucking make fun of them or care um it's just it's just like one of those things that I'm just like I just don't know a lot about it like you know what I mean like everyone has different things that they're interested in it's just never been something that I'm like oh I'm super into it but it's not like a I'm not into it therefore like it sucks like you know what I mean but I do definitely I mean half of my Twitter timeline is people like shading people who believe in horoscopes (laughs) and the other half is people who believe in horoscopes right that's what I'm saying I'm just like it's also not who is this hurting? You know what I mean? Like who, who, who is this, who is this negatively affecting? Like shut the fuck up. Let people, let people be interested in things. Yeah. Like what, why, why do we, and like, that's, oh my God. Like just in general, I feel like people don't want to let anyone enjoy anything. Exactly. Like I'm not going to say anything when you're out here creating your dream man on NBA 2K. So let me fucking read my horoscope. Listen, the way boys feel, uh, and girls too, about video games and their characters and their fucking fits and shit. It's like, we are the same because that's what I would do when I would play the Barbie game on my PC. You know what I, I mean? I would spend hours. Yeah, like it's the same thing. I mean, the amount of times I've sat down and had a boy show me his character on fucking Destiny, like... I, I I should probably just throw myself out of a window right now, but you know, I mean, it's just like, what, like, what's the difference? Like let people enjoy things like just, and like that, like, I mean, Addison Ray, I don't, now I'm just going to go off on a tangent. Addison Ray recently did that, like 
Vogue, like seven day, seven outfits, YouTube video, whatever. Everyone immediately started shitting on her. As soon as I saw the video, before I even watched it, I just saw the title of the video. I was like, everyone is going to fucking shit on this. Everyone is going to be so mad about this. And everyone is like, you should have worn this and you should have worn that. And it's like, that's, it's her personal style. Like also she's 20 years old. What the fuck were you wearing when you were 20? Like, this is her personal style. This is what she feels good in. Why do you care what she's wearing? So much like, so that you need is, to like. How is her outfit affecting your life in any way? Like if she you know? feels good in it and she likes it and it's her personal style. That's like the whole point of personal style is that it's personal And it depends on factors that only affect that one person. And like, you can have opinions about clothes. It's not, that's the thing. Like I, I, I definitely will look at, you know, collections and I'll be like, what the fuck is this? Like this, who's the fuck is going to wear this? But like, if I saw someone wearing it, I wouldn't like be upset about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, oh, that person likes that. Cool. Sick. Like everyone was like a MAGA hat. right then then you know we can we can start roasting it you know as a team but I just it makes me feel so sad because it's like people really don't know how to celebrate the success of people that they don't believe are worthy yeah and and I just why are people so consumed with other people's lives like I genuinely like I'm telling you like I think that because I feel like I saw a video I'm very I'm very involved I very much love like TikTok drama I love TikTok and so I got caught up the other day apparently Addison Ray was with Jack Harlow in Las Vegas mind you I don't know who these people are but I was so invested in the story I also don't know who Jack Harlow is but I did know that they were spotted together in Las Vegas and in Miami Uh, so there's there's that but when but when Lil Huddy okay he's a little TikTok boy he did a video I think with either Harper's Bazaar or Vogue I can't remember it was like one of their YouTube videos and he um did like a little Q&A thing and the comments are on that were like oh my god he's so cute like oh my god like I like raise your hand or like like this comment if you've always thought Lil Huddy was hot or something and like he's a TikToker too, but the comment section for an Addison Ray video is just like shitting on her, and I'm just like, again, so we just we just really hate women, huh? We just really all sat down, even women. We all just sat around and decided, Absolutely. yeah, we're just gonna hate women. Even women hate women. That's what I'm saying. It's just like it's it's interesting to me that most of the comments that I get that are hateful in nature unfortunately are from other women and I mean don't get me wrong there's a lot of men but like the most majority of them are women so it's girl let that internal misogyny go literally I mean it's internalized misogyny is a real fucking problem that plagues people are women of all backgrounds but like if you're listening to this really take some time to reflect on it. it's something that i like i hated taylor swift for no fucking reason yeah. but you know we're constantly being subconsciously pitted against other women 
and like mm-hmm. fed these, you know, stories by these tabloids. And I feel like we're like reading it and then subconsciously it's just feeding our internalized misogyny. This is so toxic and harmful. And that's why like, I, like, I feel like we have like, at least for me, like, I feel like I actively, it's like one of those things like, okay, how do I unlearn this? How do I stop, you know, perpetuating this bullshit that I was fed and it was super like, and it was normalized and it was just like a part of, you know, life. And like, you know, I just, you have to like kind of refuse to participate in it. And also like, again, I do like confrontation. So I will also call people out and just be like, it's not funny to just make fun of a girl who's just like enjoying her life. Like there's nothing funny about that. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like I, you literally, you, there's, you, you can't be right, no matter what you do. I mean, like, when we were younger, like, family members would constantly compare me and my sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, like, my sister, she's younger than me by a year, but she developed much more quickly than me. You know, she just has this curvy, amazing body, and then I was always, you know, flat chest, like, whatever. And then people would all, like, our family members would always be, like, my extended family. Like, oh, like, how come you don't look like your sister? Like, she's younger than you. Like, what's wrong with you? And my sister would also get comments like, oh, you're so overweight. Like, why don't you look more like your sister? And just, like, why? It's so unnecessary. Like, why are you so obsessed with me? You know? I don't know. You just... There's I, no winning. When you're a woman, there's literally no winning. Listen, if that's not the title of this episode, I don't know what is. Um, <laughs> because truly, women cannot win. And also, I think you'd be happy to hear that I have actually told one of my aunts before, verbatim, why are you so obsessed with me? Like, I've said those words to her. She Love definitely that. did not fully get it. Um, but it needed to be said because yeah, that was just constant. Amazing. Oh my God. Listen, the day I became old enough to say things without it being considered like disrespectful, because at the end of the day, I still do believe in like respecting elders to a certain degree. You know what I mean? Like, but once I got to my thirties, I was like, okay, bitch, we're not, the age difference isn't that serious now. Just so I'm going to let you know. Grandma doesn't mean you can't catch a fade right now. Right. Like, so we're going to have a little chat and you're going to shut the fuck up and listen because we won't be proceeding forward with this type of behavior anymore. We're going to, we're going to stop that. We're going to stop that right now because it just, I don't know. And I'm really grateful though, that in my household, there was not comparison in that sense of like physical like there was no physical kind of comparisons like my parents never really put an emphasis on like our appearance like we just needed to be clean and bathed and wearing like nice clean clothes but no one was ever really commenting on like my body or the way I looked and like 
my mom was just not one of those moms who like gave a fuck about those things, which I'm really grateful for. And I genuinely don't know how I even turned like, cause I'm obsessed with fashion and beauty and all these things, but my mom, I've never seen her even wear makeup. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it never mattered to her. And so I think that also put things into perspective in a different way for me when people would mention it. I'm just like, why the fuck do you care about this? You know what I mean? My own mom doesn't you know, care about this. But I actually realized recently. So like I told you, I mean, my younger sister, there's only a year between uh, the difference between us, um, but she developed much more quicker than me. So when we were kids, I was allowed to like wear up until a certain age I was allowed to wear like tiny shorts and tiny crop tops mm-hmm. but my mm-hmm. younger sister was never allowed to my dad would always put her in baggy clothing and she was young like she was really young she didn't understand why and he's like oh because you're overweight like you're fat but I we just recently realized that it was because she was being sexualized and my dad mm-hmm. like this traditional Algerian man doesn't know how to have that conversation with her. It was just so much easier for him to like kind of body shame her and be like, yeah, you're fat. That's why. Rather than be like, oh, because, you know, I don't want older men to like look at you and like, you know, so. Awful. Yeah. I'm like, I gotta be honest with you. I'm like, that's fucking awful. It is, but I mean, no hard feelings. Like, no, and like, I'm sure it must have been really difficult for him as well. I mean, oh, for sure. And like young girls. I fully understand. Like also like, I think that, and it's not even like, oh, you're making excuses. It's not about that. It's like, you have to be realistic about certain things. And like, that was the way he was raised. Those were like the norms. Like, you know what I mean? Like how, how is he supposed to understand like, oh, this is damaging to a young girl. You know what I mean? Like, that's not something that was ever probably even brought to his attention. So it was kind of like, I don't think his intention was to, you know, make her feel bad at all. Like he, in his mind, probably thought this was protecting her. Exactly. If anything, he thought he was protecting her. A hundred percent. And that's why, like, I, I, I always kind of, people are like, Oh, it's so cool that you have a cool relationship with your dad. And I'm like, yeah, like he didn't always make the right choices or say the right things. And then as I got older, I took it upon myself to explain things to him. Like, hey, Baba, like when you say this to me, I know this is what you mean, but this is how it makes me feel. And it doesn't make me feel good. And like, if you just, and obviously I think a lot of factors, like my dad is more receptive and more understanding than maybe other people's parents. So I know it's, it dynamics are all different, but it's not like he just like knows these things. You know what I mean? It's not like he just was super aware of the misogyny that exists in the Arab community because it never really affected him. It didn't affect him and also was never a conversation in the Arab community. Exactly. I mean, I'm going to speak for Algeria. It's a very, very patriarchal society. Like you won't even see a woman outside like that's wild so for my dad I would say he had a lot of these like super patriarchal slash misogynist views but that's just all he knew that was how he grew up but I do think like over the years having daughters moving to the west his 
ideologies changed, thank God. But yeah, it's sad. And, really. that's, and that's the other thing. I think misogyny exists everywhere, but just like in different ways. And I think in Arab countries, the misogyny that exists is very like up for uh, like, it's very like in your face. Like they're not, they're not secretive about it. Like this is what it is. As opposed yeah. to the West, it's much more like veiled and like kind yeah. of it's like a mind fuck. It's like it's like I'm this is misogyny, but I'm gonna make you think that this is actually progress. You it's know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's it's like all of these different ways of tricking you and yeah. it's like gaslighty. Like I that's what I'm saying. It exists everywhere in different ways, but I think just for a lot of Arab countries, it's much more like we're not even going to hide it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, here's what it is. And and I, I prefer it. It's much more upfront. I prefer things that are upfront. And, and that way we can, we can have a conversation about it because we're both acknowledging that this is a thing that exists. So that's, that's one step forward. We're both acknowledging that this is Absolutely. happening. Uh, Whereas in the West, I, I, you're not really aware it's happening most of the time. Uh, oh, I, I'm so sure that like, you know, most people who see me definitely think that I'm oppressed and I've come, you know, I'm okay with it. That's fine. I'm, I'm cool with it. You want to think I'm oppressed. That makes you feel better. That's cool. You know what I mean? Like whatever, whatever makes you feel better, but you know, it's that in itself is misogynistic. Cause it's like, Absolutely. because you've chosen to cover your body in a way that makes you feel comfortable, you must be so oppressed. And it's like, no, I think that women should be able to cover or not cover whatever the fuck they want. That's that's freedom is being able to dress however you want. Like that is what freedom yeah. is. Exactly. And like having any feelings about the way a woman decides to dress no that's just incorrect. Like I don't care what anyone wears. Like you want to fucking wear uh you know a bathing suit around the mall, go for it. I don't, that doesn't bother me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't really fucking care what anyone wears, but people really do care. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that's a huge problem. Yeah. France should be taking notes right now. Listen, I, I just, what's happening in France is so alarming again, because it's so blatant and it's so just like, they're not even trying to hide their Islamophobia at all. They're just like, I mean, I, I feel like they're just very, we're only like years away or even months away from them just straight up banning Muslims from like even entering the country. From existing. Which is really shocking. I mean, fuck France. I don't want to go to France. Like, fuck you. Like, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm just like, I, in all aspects of life, when someone very clearly or makes it very clear that they don't want you there, I don't want to be there. Like, I just, I don't know. It's, it's really, again, it's, it's shocking, but at the same time, it's not super surprising because I think France has just been like tiptoeing around this for years. And yeah, decades. It's just, it's been going on for so long and, and I have so much empathy for people who 
were born and raised and lived all of their lives in France and they consider themselves French. Yeah. And like, and they're being treated like, I would say pretty inhumanely because for a country to govern the way people dress is terrifying. It's just so bizarre to me that, you know, a veil, like a clothing item someone chooses to wear can cause like such an uproar. Like I I remember when I was still living in Canada, I was with my parents. So my mom's a hijabi. And we were, I think we were like on some kind of road trip to the mountains or something. And we stopped at a Tim Hortons to get coffee. And my mom was kind of like ahead of me. And this man, like he's this white dude, he just kind of gives her like a really dirty look and just like go back to your country or something along these lines. Um, and she was really upset and hurt by it. And then him not knowing that I was her daughter, he like smiles at me, he opens the door for me. I'm just like, do you see how stupid you are? Like yeah. that is literally my mom. But just because she's wearing a hijab, and I'm not yeah. all of a sudden you know that she's this I don't know like yeah it's so illogical it's it exists everywhere that that's the worst part it just it exists everywhere it's just different degrees and that's why like I said like you don't you have to like not only do I feel very strongly about like advocating for myself but just in general like advocating for everyone around you. You know what I mean? Like if you see something wrong happening, I truly believe that like in 2021, we should be fucking saying something like, yeah. unless you feel like it's going to endanger you in some way. Like I just, I feel like saying something is really important because if you don't say something, it's like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like it's, it's kind of, the least we can do. And I think that we've been kind of all conditioned to feel that like, Oh, you don't want to be rude or you don't want to do this. But like when blatant racism and discrimination exists, I just feel like you, you have to say something. I don't know. I, I mean, have a moral obligation to. I can't tell you how many times I've witnessed people in restaurants or st- clothing stores just pretending like they can't understand people when they're clearly speaking fucking English just because they have an accent and they just don't like that person because they're not from here. So I'm just going to pretend like I can't understand you in a really rude way. But it's like... I'm sorry, but being like not bilingual or multilingual is not the flex you think it is. That's what I'm saying. I'm like... That's what I'm saying. I'm like, this person literally speaks... Like, multiple languages. Like, fuck you. Like, I don't know. I just... It just like one you of those things really that, like... think you're better than them? Come on. I think they do. I think very deep down in, in, in a lot of white people, not all of them, but a lot of them, I think that they think that they're better than other people. And it doesn't come out in the in the Donald Trump type way all the time. It's sometimes it's a little bit more hidden, but it's, it's there. 
And a lot of times people don't even realize that it's there. You know what I mean? That's why I think it's important to call people out. Like, it's not like a, oh, I'm trying to cause a problem. It's like, no, like you, you have to make people fucking aware that like, you know, what's happening, even if they don't know what's happening. Um, but I mean, listen, yeah, because as you said, a lot of them aren't even aware of their white privilege. And I can talk about, you know, the patriarchy and, and injustice forever because it's constant and never ending. And I can't stress this enough. I do hate it here, but <laughs> I do. I have enjoyed talking to you and I can confirm that you are as cool as I thought you were. And um, I've loved I'm having honored. you on the podcast. It was really fun chatting with I've you and getting to know fun. you. It's my really, wife. I mean, honestly, I'm telling you, one of the perks of my podcast is when I see someone and I'm like, I want to talk to this person. I'm like, I'm just going to ask them to come on my podcast. And then it's an excuse for me to talk to them. And then people get to enjoy the conversation. So it's a win-win. That's so fun. Like, just think about it. Like, this is what you get to do. Like, you get to wake up and just talk to so many different people. Like, how amazing is that? I'm telling you, I'm very... I never not thought it was cool. I think it's one of my favorite things that I've ever got to do work-wise is this, is have a podcast and get to pick people that I want to talk to. And it's just, it's it's really cool. It's really fun. And then I get to share them with my audience and then they get to discover cool new people. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's really fun. Um, and like I said, I mean, I've really enjoyed talking to you and I want people to be able to see more from you, where can people find you online? Where can they find your work? Anything that you want to plug? Okay. Um, you can find my work at arabnews.com or at vogueradia.com. Um, sorry, it's not vogueradia.com. It's actually vogue.me. I never share my work, by the way. I'm the type of person that gets embarrassed by everything I do. Like, I'm telling you, you're I a mystery. You're an enigma. Out on a daily basis. So, yeah. And you can find me I on mean, Instagram. Listen. You can't find me on Twitter because that's where I make a fool of myself on a daily basis. So, <laughs> on a burner listen, guys. that no one will ever find. <laughs> but. For Twitter, that is ideal. Twitter is a, a scary place. I love it, but it's it's also a scary place. Um, I'm going to have Khaula's Instagram and everything linked in the episode description. As always, you can go to the Arab American Psycho Instagram account where you will see a beautiful picture of Khaula. And as always, you can follow me on Instagram at Noor E where I'm just, you know, being fucking weird and, you know, being vain. And don't forget to floss your teeth, wear your sunscreen, don't be an asshole, and I'll talk to you guys next Sunday.